All right, so thank you again for coming. The, uh, the plan moving forward is to, uh, is to spend probably two weeks on the seventh Shoresh. For anyone who got to see it, it's uh, pretty intricate, complicated. Um, we're going to talk tonight, I think, about sort of what the main point is and then uh, like sort of what the main argument is, why he's, sort of what he's trying to get at. Um, and then next week we'll talk about sort of the process of which he tries to group mitzvot. Right, the Rambam, um, in a number of Shirashim, this is really the first one that uh, is fully dedicated to it. Um, we'll talk about some of the others now, in a minute. Uh, is really concerned to sort of get Jewish law down to 613 units. Right? There's obviously Tariq Mitzvos, but uh, it's not clear at all. Certainly the number's not in the Torah, obviously. It's barely in, in the Gemara. Uh, and he's got to try and reduce Jewish law into groupings, 613 groupings. Right, so we talked a lot, and we'll talk, see it again in a second, but we, talk, we mentioned last week this mitzvah of lulav, for example, right? You could, maybe, someone could argue, and someone, there is one region who does, that it's four mitzvahs, right? But the Rambam says it's one, so, you know, he's, it's a project of reducing the law into, uh, into narrower, narrower chunks. And that's really what's going on. And we'll see next week, we'll talk about sort of the, um, the second church where the Rambam um, sort of is trying to negotiate uh, the question of the, to what extent do you, do you abide by... Um, classifications that appear within Mikra, or do you follow um, conceptual thinking, right? So there's a bigger concept, so we're going to group that together, even if in Mikra it seems to be, um, seems to be separate, and obviously both of those uh, categories will need to be nuanced, but that's, that's going to be our project for next week. But for this week, I want to talk about um, the, sort of the main point of the Shoresh, and the main point of the Shoresh is not at all clear, uh, and it's subject to, um, I think it sort of can do with a lot of close analysis. There's some more Makoros if you want to yeah, pass them. Oh, there. Okay. okay. Um, you could really, it's, it, it, it certainly uh, pays, pays very, very, will pay uh, fruit, pay dividends to if we uh, analyze it very closely, just especially the first um, first few sentences. In fact, I think I told Rabbi Garrison before we started that you know this week will be but the first sentence and the next week we'll talk about the rest of the Shorosh. Uh, it's, it's certainly got a lot going on here um, that it's not at all clear how to translate and what, um, what the Ramam is trying to get at. So let's just dive in with the first sentence, and we'll call attention to some of the issues and get back to, um, and get back to it in on um, probably the second side of the page. Okay. So the Ramam begins the seventh source, the following. Okay, this is obviously a translation, and I apologize. This is really going to be the, the major shear where we're going to talk about one Arabic issue, um, ad nauseum, I would say. Uh, and this is the only, but let's just, we have to pay attention very carefully to a couple words that are being used here. So we don't count the diktukim of the mitzvah. What, is it, what does that mean? What is a diktuk, a mitzvah? Right, so clearly not the mitzvah itself, right? It's some sort of subpart within the mitzvah. You know, let's just keep that in mind exactly. They spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that might mean. So then he says, another sentence that I think is also not entirely clear, um, or at least merits close reading. He says, duh. So know the following. Ki mitzvah ha'achat, one mitzvah, is mishpat echad mekubal. This is not um, tra- uh, easily or obviously translatable, but it's apparently one statement, one accepted statement. We'll have to see exactly. V'yitchayavu me'oto hakdama, and one is obligated from that hakdama. Normally that would mean introduction, but that is not entirely clear what would be going on here. So based on this hakdama, 
We'll see what that means in a, in a few minutes. You are obligated sivuim as harot rabot. And one must, uh, and there are many commandments and prohibitions that have come from this hakdama, this one mitzvah that is mishpat achad mekubal. And these things that are not the mitzvah itself are the dine ha-mitzvah, right? These are the dinim from the mitzvah. I, there's a lot of words here that I'm not quite sure how we should translate. Um, and it's very, yeah, I don't think it's quite at all obvious. And it's going to, we're going to have to circle around a couple ways to try and figure out. So the first question that we have to ask ourselves, and this is something the Lev Sameach already asks, um, is what is the point of this mitzvah, this shorish, excuse me, especially when in contrast to some other very similar shorashim, right? This, the 11th shorish is a little bit more straightforward. And that's in source number two. And the, and the Ramam writes that Shorash Hachadasar, She'en Rodilim notes Chelke a mitzvah. Don't count the parts of a commandment. Bifrat, Chelek, Chelek, Bifne Atzmo. Don't count each one on its own. Kshiyem Mukubat, Mehem, Hamukubat, Mehem, Mitzvah Achat. Don't count all the parts separately when the collection of bringing them together is, is one mitzvah. For example, Pamim, Hiyat Sibuy Achad, Shu Mitzvah Achat, Yishul Chalakim Rabim, sometimes you have a mitzvah with lots of different pieces to it. Right? Mitzvah Lulav, right? As the example of Lulav, Right, lulav has a lot of different parts, four of them in particular. Each one of them together constitutes a mitzvah. Right? Similarly, right? when, we're, when we're purifying a mitzvah, right, we don't count each part separately, like the two birds and the eight eres, the ezov, each of the, um, the granaries, I guess, that we would use to be mitzvah him, or the sheni tolat, we don't count each of these little pieces of the puzzle to be separate commandments. Right, there's one mitzvah of being of the Tara process for a mitzvah. Right, each piece is part of that mitzvah. There are parts. Right, and these are all pieces of a mitzvah. So this might be a little bit complicated, but certainly it's pretty obvious what the word chelak means. Right. We know that chalik means a part, right? And that's a very literal translation of the Arabic. It's very clear and straightforward that when it comes to mitzvot, there are sometimes they're going to have assemblages to them, pieces to them, right? Um, what would come up, obviously, with chalik and lavan and tzitzis, right? That's two separate parts of one mitzvah, right? It's pretty obvious that that means parts. And similarly, in, in, in Shorsh 12, right, he makes another similar point with the very same word. Don't count when you have to do separate processes to create an object, to prepare it in, for mitzvah purposes, right? Don't count them as uh, a separate mitzvah. What does that mean? So he says, right, we, have to, we have to do an action. Right? And the, the Torah is going to tell us how to do it. Right? Bring, um, bring a certain korban. Right? And these are the processes which you're doing. They're not physical pieces that come together. Right? But they're certainly parts um, in the production of an object. Right? This is, in fact, if anyone ever um, noticed in the Rambam, the Rambam calls the korbanos, hilchot ma'asea korbanos. Right? The way korbanos are performed. This actually probably comes, I think, I think Kapach even points this out, comes from this very Shoresh, where he talks about the malachot that come together with doing an action, right? So there's different pieces within the process of preparing certain mitzvah objects, um, and each of those pieces are not a separate mitzvah. Okay. So what, then, is a diktuk, a mitzvah? What is a din, a mitzvah? 
Right? This is the Leif Simech's question, which is number four. He says, in a, in a sort of funny way, he says, right? The Ramban has nothing to say on the seventh Shoresh, right? perhaps uncharacteristically. He says, right? must be the, since the Ramban is quiet about it, it must be he, he agrees. Nevertheless, right? I just want to talk about one simple thing. You could think it's pretty difficult. The Rambam says in the 11th story, don't count each piece, each, each part of a mitzvah independently. Right? Right? One place he says, don't count the parts of a mitzvah. And the other says, he, don't count the diktukim. Right? You could say, you could say this is all one, like, these are very similar ideas. What does he mean by diktukim that's different than chalakim? Right? There he calls these little pieces chalakim. Here he calls them diktukim. Mikomakum hadiktukim shebekol mitzvah chelakim right? The, these diktukim that he's talking about in this source are just parts of that mitzvah, apparently. Blisafek, maybe not more than apparently, right? V'chein huzal arvan kan b'zeh shorash im kein kasha elav zal lama echil kan l'shnayim mitzvah l'shnayim v'asam hem shnei shorashim. Why does he have a shorash zayin and shorashit aleph? Right? Just because he likes the number fourteen, he wants to get to fourteen shorashim. It can't be. Right? He's not just going to repeat himself. So what's going on here? Why does the Ram, what is, the, 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 the most basic question of the seven Shoresh is, what is the seven Shoresh about? Right? We had this, short, this question already, um, but about the second Shoresh, I, I argued that was ma- the major issue, but certainly with the seven Shoresh, it's very clear. What is, the, what is the topic? Right? What is he talking about when he talks about Diktukim and Dinim? Right? Or when the Ramam, in, in Arabic, uses the word fiqh, which is, means law, it's really not clear what the Ramam is trying to get at even in an Arabic term, right? The Arabic term is, is perhaps less helpful than these medieval Hebrew translations, right? Because they don't really help us understand what, what he's trying to get at, right? And this is a problem that has been noted by all the translators of the Sefer Mitzvot. They're all attuned to this problem, and the commentaries as well try and um, suss out exactly what the Rambam is getting at. Okay. So there's a couple ways to go about this, and I want to talk about... Um, and talk, at first, we'll talk, let's talk about what the way the Rambam uses this, what the Rambam is, is concerned with in this mitzvah. Okay, so if you, and anyone got to take a look at the, the, the very end of the Rambam, of this, of this Shoresh, the Rambam actually has a very interesting uh, discussion of a, 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 a term that he actually doesn't use in his own minyan mitzvahs, but that all of the Gaonim and everyone else from that sort of pre-Rambam period used, which is the term parshiot. Right, if anyone has ever opened the minyan mitzvot of the Bahag, Sadigon's Piyutim, or any of the other many, many Piyutim that circulated before the Rambam, with the exception of one, which we'll talk about in one sec, um, they grouped the mitzvot into four different categories. Does anyone know what they are? Aseis, right, commandments, positive commandments, lotases, do nots, onshin, punishments, which is perhaps seemingly very similar to the um, to the lotases, although that maybe not, maybe that's the onshin requirements of the of the beitin, and not just the normal Jew, and this amorphous group called parshiot, right? So, for example, you could have the Rambam here. Just by example, he says, you know, one 
time you have a parsha in, the, in these commandments is parsha nachalot, right? The parsha of inheritance law, right? Or the parsha of nedarim and shvuot, right? Of oaths and um, and and uh, and whatnot, right? It's not, it's not a Oh, good. So it could be, maybe it's not something that's obligatory, obligatory. It's just something that comes up. Right? That's one possible understanding of what the term Parsha means. Right? And um, it's not entirely clear. The Rambam doesn't say that. He doesn't really tell us what he entirely thinks. But he, he says in, the, in source number five, he says, right? the, the, the Bahag is sort of concerned with some of the issues I addressed in this Shoresh. The halach sibivam umana parshiot parshiot, and then he just counted a bunch of parshiot, and then he says, "But," and this is just at the end of the, at the, end of the second line, "Avaloni pa'ar zehainyan al hashlemut." But the bahag it doesn't really get to the bottom of the issue. Velohi gielav, he's not really fully understanding what's going on. L'chein mana ba'otena parshiot mashakfar mashakfar kadam lo b'minyano v'hular higish, and he duplicates it. Right, so he's concerned. The Rambam is problem with the bahag's parshiot is sometimes there are duplication, but he doesn't really tell us what he thinks the bahag is trying to do. So when he says Zehainyan, right, the Bahag didn't get to this point exactly. It's not entirely clear what that point might be. So for the Rambam, I think the general point is sort of groups of laws that come together, right? Parshiot, um, at the very minimum, is a number of assemblage of different laws that come together under one larger heading of Nachalot or Shvuot and Nadarim, right? They're sort of bigger, bigger groups. But in fact, if you look in the other um, Monah Mitzvot, the other, um, the, the other way that they take the parshiot on is not um, just groups of commandments, but commandments that are obliga- obligations of the tzibur, right? So this is something we, you, know, you can you know, have to see it inside, but this is something that Sadigon says in the introduction in source number six, and if you look actually, it just quoted a couple of the examples of um, the parsh- of the azharot, right? There's, they say there's 65 parshiot. So if you look in this in source number seven from Ibn Jekatilia, who's um, from Spain before the Rambam, he says, shishim vechamesh parshiot, Hamesurot la adati. There are sixty-five parshiot, whatever that might mean, that are that are um, given over, meaning obligatory on the community, right? Or in, in, if you look in um, the Azharot of Rebbeiyahu Zakin, who's um, an early uh, northern northern European um, Python, who actually if, if he comes up all over the place in the Tosvos. Um, so he says, Tamu parshiot v'chuketzibur. Right? I, I have finished, I've listed all 65 of them of the parshiot that are obligatory on the tzibor, right? So it sounds like for them, the parshiot are not just groups of commandments, but commandments that are, obliga- that are obligated on the tzibor itself. Okay, but that's not how the Rambam understands the Bahag. The Rambam seems to be just, just be saying they're just sort of groups of laws that come together. And he thinks they haven't quite got this point of coming together and grouping laws together in order to reduce the law to 613 mitzvot. Okay, so what is exactly a parsha then, according to, or what is, sorry, the, the issue that the Ram is trying to get at that he thinks the Bahag has not quite gotten at in this idea of Bahag? So let's, uh, of parsha. So let's look at a few examples that he mentions within the Sefer Mitzvah, in, within this Shorish. Okay, so what are the major examples in the seven Shorish? Maybe that'll give us insight as to what he means by diktukim, as opposed to chalakim, right? As opposed to parts. So he says, for, for example, at source number nine, Hamashal Bazeh, Right, this is a perfect time for anyone to do a Zafyomi. Right? Chalitza and Yibum, that's not one mitzvah, that's two. Okay, why the Rama knows this, we'll have to leave till next week. Why the Rama is so sure of this, we'll talk about next week. Um, why Yibum and Chalitza would be two mitzvot, not just one. Right? But he says, 
Right? This is obviously just the beginning of the complications for anyone doing Dafyomi, but there are some women, or in some men, the part I left off, who, ha, who can do chalitza or yibam, and some can't, some could do one, not the other, some could do both, some could do neither. Right? It's very complicated. We don't really know. It's, it's, it's complicated to, as to who would be obligated in the mitzvah of yibam and chalitza. Right? It's obviously one person is going to have a different, um, depending on their status, and their other relationships is going to have different um, relationship to the mitzvah of yibam and chalitza. Or, another example, second example that Ramam gives. Chayav hakatuv. Right, someone who brings who goes into the base mikdash impure, you have to bring a korban chatas. Right, so okay. Everyone agree that if you if you impurify the mikdash, that you bring a korban, that's a mitzvah. But This is again the translation of our of our mysterious term. The pasuk is on is give some details. Right, the, the, most people of regular financial means have to bring, you know, um, a, 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 a sheep or a, or a goat, right? But if you can't afford that, you bring two, um, two birds. Right, two other kinds of birds. Even if you're any, even further, more, uh, you know, on, on, of fewer financial means than that, right? You bring just a, uh, a very basic korban mincha, which would be much cheaper than, than any live animals. This is called a korban olaviyore because it depends on your financial well-being, right? The people who are richer bring a certain kind of korban. People who are poorer bring, bring a, a, a different kind. Mahu, right? And this person has to bring korban. These are not three separate commandments, right? Rather, one person, it's one mitzvah, because one person could be obligated in A, B, or C, depending on how much money they have, which is similar. I think the Rambam's example, the parallel here is just like one person, it's not going to be one individual who's going to have all the different permutations of Yibam and Chalitza within that relationship, right? Depending on that person's relationship, you can have a number of different outcomes. Okay? Or, then a third example. Depending on a, on a woman's um, marital or age status, right, or, or her family, whatever, different permutations of punishments for adultery. Okay? And the Ramam is insistent, this, this is just one mitzvah. Right? We're not going to count three different mitzvot based on the fact that there's, depending on someone's status, they're going to get into a punishment. There's one mitzvah of a prohibition against adultery that's going to be punished in three different ways. Again, what we have here is that one individual right, who, is public, who, is, who could have only one of the three, let's say, manifestations of this mitzvah, right? which already is cluing us in, there might be something different than the parts Right? Just to take our very simple part example, a lulav. Right? I have to bring the whole lulav if I want to do the mitzvah. Each one of them is a part. Right? But, when it, but when it comes to these examples, apparently, it doesn't mean a part. It means sort of a manifestation or like 
instantiation of a different commandment is going to manifest itself in a different circumstance, right? So one person will have to bring a different kind of korban depending on their financial well-being. One person could have to do yibim or chalitza depending on their relationships with other you know, siblings, right? But it, it's not like one person is going to have to do all of, all of the above, right? You only have to do one of to be in the mitzvah, right? So I think our first, um, our first example, our first working definition might be that we're going to have manifestations of a commandment and not just parts. And in fact, if you look at later in the Shoresh, on the other side of the Makoros, the Ramah actually contrasts, or maybe not, the definition of parts or diktukim, again, in Arabic, the word is fik, just means law. Um, we'll get back to that in a second. With a different word. He says, Many people made mistakes on this very topic. Whenever they're looking at the... Some people made the following mistake. Whenever it was written down regarding the Shoresh HaMitzvah, whatever that might mean, and they, they so man, so, so I read that incorrectly. They counted everything written. Without any of looking at the conceptual, basic principle of the commandment, right? And they did not, were not aware of lo diktukeha o tinaeha. Now we have three new concepts that are not very well defined at all. Right? But we need to sort of keep them all in mind if we're trying to understand what the source is about. So he said you only count the principal commandments. I don't know if anyone remembers when I talk about the, shor- the second source. I try to argue that the Rambam is really interested in this concept of principal commandments, even though he only brings it as far as I know twice in the entire Zayvar Mitzvot. Um, but you count the principal commandment, the basic commandment, and not the diktukim or the tnaim, the stipulations. So what is diktukim here? It's not the rules and regulations, but I would think here, it's, I think manifestations, again, is a, is a reasonable translation, right? Therefore, you, you don't count the different ways a mitzvah could be manifest or the conditions that go along with it. You only count the shoresh ha-mitzvah, okay? And that shoresh ha-mitzvah is going to be what the Rambam is totally concerned with, as we talked about sort of the end of last week's year. Um, again, when we're looking for the headline basic commandment, it's going to be that issue, and then everything else that could be manifest or that's part of it is going to come within, within that mitzvah. Okay, so the Leif Sameach actually answers the question similarly, although not quite in the exact same way that I was suggesting. He says, He thinks that the distinction between the parts and the diktukim is very clear. Right? These Diktukim, they don't all come together at once, which is what, sort of what I've been trying to say. Right, sometimes you'll have one, sometimes you'll have a different one, which is sort of what we've been trying to say. That's, I, I don't think it's a good translation, but he's certainly getting to the idea of what this source is about. That sometimes you have, um, this, this is not quite a part, because sometimes you have different ways that, it, I, think, I think what he's trying to say, is that a different way a mitzvah is manifest is going to be still counted as one mitzvah, right? A mitzvah could be manifest as you bring a expensive, more expensive offering or an inexpensive offering, depending on how much money you have in your wallet, right? And that's still going to be one mitzvah because we're still looking at the shoresh mitzvah and not the way it is manifest in different people. Okay, so I think that, I would suggest, is what the Rambam is trying to get at. And in fact, if you look, but, okay, that's what I think the seven source is about. I think the seven source is about the way different ways mitzvot are manifest, which is different 
than the parts of a commandment. Is that more or less understood? Yes, okay, good, yeah. Okay, but it gets complicated. This definition gets complicated because the Rambam uses this word, which is translated by Ibn Tibon as diktukim, all throughout the Sefer Mitzvot, and I can't quite capture every single case. So if you do, which I did, if you do a search through the Sefer Mitzvot, you'll find that this comes up all the time, this idea of that Ibn Tibon translates as diktukim in all sorts of different ways. Um, and I'm just going to show you a couple of cases where it's not always super clear. Um, the my translation of manifestation um, really captures all of them, but I'm happy to sort of, you know, bat 600 or 700 um, on this case. I don't know that there's a really way to capture all of them. If someone has a better suggestion wants to go through my list, I'm happy to share my, uh, my data and they can come up with a, with a, um, with a more thorough uh, idea. But this is what I got so far. Um, and I, but I just want to show you that there are some, it's not entirely um, glad, let's say. There are some places where it might not capture it, but we can only do our best. Okay, so the Ram I'm in, um, I just wanted to give you two examples. Um, one, he says, in the, the mitzvah of a, of, of a shore, right? Of, of a, this comes up in Babakama, right? A, um, a, a, an animal that's sort of misbehaving and damaging all, all of everybody's property. Right? So there are all sorts of rules and regulations that come with this. He says, right? You just have one general mitzvah of a shore. Right? There are all sorts of rules in Parsha Mishpatim. And then he says, that's interesting. And then he says, or Kapak translates it as, Mishpate Din Right? In the first six chapters of Babakama, all of the mitzvah of the shore are come up. Right? Obviously, this is a very short entry in the Sefer Mitzvot. Right? He says, but the, the point I'm trying to get at here is this word din, which is a translation of our word diktukim, which Kapach translates as mishpatei din. Right? It's not entirely clear to me. Maybe it means manifestations here, but I'm not sure that it quite, that quite captures um, all the different rules. Maybe it does. Uh, maybe it doesn't. Um, of Well, right, yeah, both right. Can't be both exactly. Can't be both at one at each time. So this one may be a little closer to what we're trying to get at, but I think the other one might not be um, entirely clear. Right? It says in this is um, in Asay uh, Reishlam a little bit before that. He should see dot ama ivria. Where you have to redeem a um, Hebrew maidservant. Right? Right? This redemption yeshla diktukim utnaim. Right, again, the same words that we saw in the seventh source of diktukim and tanaim, conditions and maybe it means manifestations here. I'm not really sure. Right? It says, blah, 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 blah. Right? Right? So we're not entirely clear um, that in that case, the ama ivriya, we really have different manifestations. Um, although, perhaps, um, but I think it's still open to a little bit of interpretation. Um, but that's the best I can do in terms of how we translate this word from the Arabic, right? Um, which means, again, in Arabic itself is not particularly helpful. Okay, that's the first word of the Shorish. Now let's get to the second word. <laughs> uh, not quite, but you remember the, 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 the Ramam again had, we have a whole different sentence that we could probably spend another shear on, and we'll try and capture it um, in, the, in, the fall, in the few minutes we have left. Okay, so again, the Ramah begins the seventh Shorish. Now we've done really like the third word. It says, fourth word, so we translate that as manifestations of a commandment. Okay, first sentence, first half hour in, we're good. Let's go to the second sentence. 
So now he says, Duh, he ha mitzvah echat, mishpat echad, mekubal. Right? It's one, I'm going to give you a, an alternative translation. Um, it's one, I don't know what this means, sentence, accepted sentence. This is, I, I have another idea in my head, I just want to show you the problems. And you're obligated, and you're obligated from that introduction. That clearly can't be what it means. Which are the manifestations of the commandment. Okay. Like, um, like which are same mitzvot, but are manifest in different ways. Okay. And then he says, And what you're obligated within Yibum and Chalitza based on the Again, this can't mean Torah introductions. Yitzchayev, Shetiena, Ketzat, and Hashim do this, and some do that, and whatever. Right? So what's going on here? What, what, what does this mean? Right? Our normal sort of first entry in the dictionary of many of these words doesn't make any sense. Mishpat, Echad, Mekubal, what is that? Haktama, right? doesn't mean introduction here. Now, if you look in Kabach's translation, he says... So how does he translate this? A little bit differently than we've been translating it. She'ein ro'i limnot prate halachot ha-mitzvah. Again, I don't think that is correct. He says you, you count the parts of the laws of a mitzvah. So I, it, it, I try to argue that's not what's going on here, right? It's not pratim, right, the way you would have in the 11th Shoresh, right? It's not halakim, right? The, the um, kapach has a, I don't think quite captures the point here. But then he says in the next sentence, which is I don't think is either... Um, particularly helpful. He says, Da, Sheha Mitzvah Achat, one commandment is Yechida Misuyemet Shalema. Again, it's a, a closed, complete unit or something like that. Umitchayavim, and one is obligated, Me'oto Hakdama, based on that, again, introduction, which is not correct, but that's how Kapak understands it. Tzivuim Vaasarot Rabot, Rabim Behilchot Mitzvah. Right? And you have to have a lot of obligations based on that. What? That, that, again, I, I don't think it's a sentence that's particularly comprehensible if you sort of understand, if you're trying to get what the words mean here. And then, in a footnote, right, he's clearly upset with this translation of Haktama, right? So what does it mean here? He says, so what's going on? He says, Kolomar, what's a Haktama? Hashem Haklali, the general um, term or something, Hamugdar Vahamugubash Shalha Mitzvah, this Collected definition of the commandment, that we present at the opening of each presentation of the mitzvah, right? We said, I wanted to say that was the headline of each commandment. So Kabbalah understands what this Hakdama Torah means the opening phrases, the headline of each mitzvah. I respectfully do not think that is correct. Right. So what do I think is going on here? Let's, yeah. let's assume yeah. that you believe that when you see something in the Torah, that's the overall generality. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the specifics in Torah Shabbat and later... But it's not just in Torah Shabbat. It's also Torah Shabbat here. Right? There's a lot... All the stuff is in Torah Shabbat. All the examples are Torah Shabbat. Yeah, but they don't tell you how to do it. They just tell you... Okay. Yeah, if you haven't had children and you have a, a wife, yeah, yeah. Okay. then you've got to do something to try to right, right. the name. How, does it, how do you do it? Look in the appendix. The appendix is Torah Shabbat. 
I, I don't, the reason I'm not sure, I don't think that this is a, the distinction here is between Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Peh, is because the Ram has sort of already dismissed half the Torah, like 95% of Torah Shabbat Peh in the earlier Shirashim, right? The second Torah was already about getting rid of Torah Shabbat Peh from the Minyan Mitzvot. We've already sort of cleared that. I didn't say this in the Minyan Mitzvot. <laughs> it's the how-tos. But I think he's already cleared that from this. We don't, if that was the issue, if it was a distinction between written and oral Torah, then I think we've already covered that in the earlier Shirashim. I don't think that's what's going on here either. So let me tell you what I think is going on. Tell me if you buy it. Okay, this is what I think the key words are. So I think the first word, hakdama, let's just start with that, does not mean introduction. It means premise. The exact same word can be used in Hebrew and Arabic. They have the same spelling um, for introduction and premise. But I think what he means here is not introduction as in opening, but a premise as in a logical premise. Okay? And... Therefore, what mishpat echad mekubal might mean is the, um, or as Chava translated as, yichida misuyemet shleima. Either way, it means a, the first statement in a, in a syllogism. But it's the very same, it's using, in fact, very similar logic from, it's very similar language from formal logic when he's, when he's capturing this point. Right? We have a premise, and we have a postulate, Right? And v'itchayavu means the outcomes of that postulate. Okay? All those words can be translated in that way, not as in, in perhaps we would originally assume, but that actually what he's trying to get at is, this, is a, he's trying to hint at certain logical ideas. So therefore, ideas from formal logic. Therefore, when we have a shoresh ha-mitzvah in the seventh shoresh, that is the sort of basic formulation of the, from the logical premise from which the other parts of the mitzvah are, come out. Okay? And in fact, I think, if you look in the ways the Rambam, and do some very, very careful reading here, the way the Rambam distinguishes between different kinds of parts of a commandment or different outgrowths of a commandment, this might actually be very helpful. Okay, so we saw um, the Rambam here uses the word, which is translated as mishpate um, mitzvah by kapach or diktukim, right, dine mitzvah, Right? There, are, there are other ways, we saw one other way already for him to distinguish between the basic part of commandment and the details. Right? One of them is in the 11th verse, he talks about parts. Right? But there's actually another image that the Rambam uses in the Sefer Mitzvot, and that is in the, in the second verse, he says, don't challenge me for leaving out certain laws which are anafim from the Shorashim. Right? I'm only not counting them, not because they're not right or wrong, but only because they're anafim. They're only branches from the roots of the mitzvah, right? And in fact, if you look in the way the Ramam uses the word, in, I mean, we're just using, obviously, the Hebrew translation, but it's a very literal translation of branches um, elsewhere, the anafim refer not to daraita law, but laws that were later extracted, grow, outgrowths, let's say, to, to use that um, imagery, from the original revelation that were pulled out or Tended, maybe, if you want to use some more farming imagery, by, um, by people after Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? So if you look in source number 17, right, it says, right? Prophecy can't help with understanding the Torah. We have the Torah. We talked about this already. We have the Torah, and that's it. No more prophecy in terms of understanding. We don't, right? Torah, it doesn't help you with it. So nevuah doesn't help you with explaining the Torah. Oh, Right? We don't also don't use nevuah for taking for developing, for tending and pulling out these anafim, these branches. So this is a different um, 
imagery of sort of details and roots than the Ramam is using in our Shoresh. But it's telling because I think when the Ramam uses anaf, he doesn't mean Doraita law, he means Dorabaran law. And that's not what's going on here. But it's just important to know, to be aware of the different kind of language the Ramam is using. And in fact, the only time the word anaf comes up in the entire Sefer Mitzvot, in this sense, is in the second Shoresh. Right? There's one other place where he talks about um, something totally different, but it's not related. But this one sentence in the second Shoresh is when he talks about anafim. Right? And these anafim for him are, I think, because they're Dorabanans. Right? And Dorabanans just don't have no place in Sefer Mitzvot, as we've tried to argue. Right? So that's one imagery. But... In fact, if you look at the other, um, the way he uses the word that we've been translating as diktukim or mishpatim in, this, in the Parish of Mishnah, we actually find a difference between the Sefer Mitzvot and the, um, the Parish of Mishnah. Right? We've, it's been very clear in the seventh Shoresh that the diktukim are daraita. Right? There's no question about it. Right? If you have you know, the poor and the rich bringing a different kind of korban, that's, I mean, it's, it's, not a que- it's in the Torah, literally. Right? Um, it's not just sort of details that come out in oral law. Those are clearly written down. But when he uses the same word, he actually translates it a little bit differently. He uses it in a different sense um, in this parish mission. This is going to help us understand, I think, this mysterious sentence. And maybe next week we'll get to the third, third sentence in the Shorish. Um, this will help us understand. Okay, so he says, so what he's talking about, the halachol of Sinai laws in the parish mission, he writes the following. So, it's source 18. I'm going to give you a list of the halachol of Sinai's laws, right? Certainly all, most of them, if not all of them. So he says, None of these halacha sinais are we use by sort of reasoning to get to. Right? There's only very you know tenuous connection between any law that's halacha sinai and a pasuk. Right? And there's no other, there's never any um, reasoning. Kapak translates as nasu, but not nu, as sort of debate, maso matan, giving back and forth, right? About these right? There's no ever reasoning, proofs, arguments, right? And you link to Mikra as tenuous, right? But here he says this, this is the key line. The, the line of this word of svarot or nasab umatan, right? Debate. Meaning the word for logical or just legal reasoning, legal debate, is the same word, this is, the, this is why I've trans- given you two translations of it, that he uses in the second Shoresh, in, sorry, in the seventh Shoresh, he uses it to mean the manifestations of a law. But here he's using it to mean argumentation, right? And clearly not the right to argumentation. And again, in, in, this, in, in the, um, but this is in contrast, excuse me, to how he uses the same term in a different passage in the Sefer Mitzvot. He says, he said, um, this is about Yovel, that you, the law in Yovel is lashuv karkaot kulam Right? Yovel has to go back, the, all the lands have to go back, we all, we all know that already. Right? And we, they return back without any payment, they go back to the original owner. Fine. Ukvar, and then he says, The Torah is very detailed about the laws of fields and etc. returning during Yovel. Or, Tchapa translates it as, Asak hakatuv bidine ha mitzvah. Right? The Torah that goes out to give it a lot of details, which is exactly our word for manifestation, right? That he uses in the seventh Shoresh. Right? How the, all those cases are going to come together. Okay, so why did I take us, you know, 
to Halacha Mishnah Sinai and to Yovel, two seemingly um, unrelated issues to the seven Shoresh, because of the following. This word that the Rambam is concerned with in terms of manifestations, what I argue is manifestations, is closely related to this, what he uses in a different sense, but the same word to mean de- debate and reasoning, okay, in the, in the parish of Mishnah. Which means, I think, that there's some sort of connection between that word and the idea of outcomes of logical deductions, right? So when you have this idea of a shoresh ha-mitzvah, the conceptual headline, most important part of the mitzvah, from which flow a number of different manifestations, even if they're in mikra, they're still conceptually linked. In the same way, I think the Rambam is suggesting, that logical syllogisms have a basis, and the premises flow quite naturally from them, Right? And they would still, if you one were to you know, have a question about it, they'd still sort of be implied in such an obvious way. They'd still be considered daraita, right? Some of them are, in fact, in the mikra, but they're still linked to that conceptual basis. So I think what the Rambam is doing here is linking, is, is borrowing this idea, this logical terminology to explain what a, again, a haktama means here premise, right? From which flow all of the manifestations of a mitzvah, Right? Um, and he's, the reason he's interested in this, he uses this word manifestation again, is because I think it has a con- close connection to, the, to this logical deduction, this sort of using your mind. But here, obviously, in the seven stories, he's not talking about human deducing from, from logical premises, but just conceptually, we have a conceptual premise, a larger shorish mitzvah, from which flow manifestations for that mitzvah, such as, you know, a rich person, a poor person, a yibum and chalitza, ex- yib, uh, yovel, Right, Dinei Shor, all these cases are, are all the different ways that mitzvahs manifest is linked to the original conceptual foundation, right, in much the same way that logical the, the outcomes and the conclusions of the logical syllogism are going to be linked to that very basic thing. Right? That's, I think, what the Rambam is trying to get at here. And that would then answer our question very differently than we have now not just manifestations, right, but these manifestations, the, the connection between the manifestation and the basic Shorish mitzvah is going to be there, therefore very different than the lulav, right? Lulav, we have, they're not, there's no obvious center or conceptual basis of a lulav, right? All four come together to form one mitzvah, right? And like Tchela and Lavan is another example, right? Tchela and Lavan come together, they're sort of one thing, right? They come for the point of Laman Tizkaru, right? That's the Rambam emphasizes. But when you have the manifestations of a mitzvah, they don't come together um, in the same way. They're not coming together to form a larger goal. They're manifestations from a different premise for, that is the definition of this mitzvah that the Rambam, I think, is trying to say. That's only that should be counted um, based on the seventh source. Hope that was uh, clear. A lot of very far parts, but um, next week we'll try and talk about some of the methods from which the Rambam uh, gets to this very goal. So thank you very, very much. We even ended on time.